Hello and welcome to another episode of Certified Forgotten, your favorite horror podcast that reviews movies that have five or less reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. I am your host, not Matt Monagle. I am Matt Donato, and for this week we are switching things up a little bit because if you follow the podcast like I know you all do, last week we dug into the origin story that is Matt Donato. This week, Matt Monagle takes center stage, and I thought it'd be easier if I just took over the hosting duties for this one. So without further ado, I would like to introduce my partner, my rock, my Bob Uecker. No, I'd be Bob Uecker in this scenario. I don't know. It's Matt Monagle. Hey, feels weird. This all feels weird. I don't like it. I don't like it, and I don't want to do this again. I like being in control. But I am the captain now for this one episode. This is true. I guess I, that makes me the Tom Hanks to, um, I'm so sorry. I can't remember the name of the Academy Award winning actor, but, but yes, that's, that is the breakdown. I was also trying to think of a really good sports announcer analogy and like, I don't want to be Chris Collinsworth, so we can't use that, but I do feel like we have become the, uh, Joe Buck and Tony Romo. No, I, I would say, I, I would say I'll, I'll take, yeah, actually, okay. I'll take Joe Buck and Tony Romo. I don't think I'm as good at my job as Tony Romo as it is. But yeah, we could do, or we could do classic Sunday Night Baseball, the Joe Morgan, and uh, what was his face? Play-by-play guy for the San Francisco Giants. You know who I'm talking nope. about. I, You know, maybe, but also not. <laughs> well, if, if for the one listener that's out there, please send us the name of that guy because I'm never going to look it up and I don't care enough. Um, and maybe, I don't know, we'll give you a prize. I don't know. I've been drinking. In any case, we're here to talk about horror movies, but specifically, we're here to talk about how horror movies influenced a little Alaskan boy. And I don't know if we just want, do you want to just like jump into it? How do you, how do you want to, how do you want to ease us into this? We can, I'm not going to lie. It feels weird to talk about me because usually I'm like, my role is to get other people to talk about themselves. I'm very comfortable to, to support role. I'm very comfortable in that capacity. So then, all right, let me do my best to channel my inner Matt Monagle. Mm. Mm. Let me dive into the interview portion that will take up a majority of this episode because as we have stated last time, it is our very nice Patreon supporter, Corey Maurer, who came to us with the idea of, hey, you guys interview all your guests and you get all these stories out of them. And we get to an essence of who these guests are in the sense of, well, why are they into horror now? How did they get to where they are as a filmmaker, as a journalist, as anything? So Corey came to us, said, hey, are you guys ever going to do it for yourselves? And here we are. We're already one episode in. Uh, you've gotten my story out of me. And now it is my turn to pry the origin out of Matt Monagle. So I guess let's let's begin because you're in Alaska for a little while. So I do want to go back to those times and I want to mm-hmm. go back as early as I know already that your mother has a fantastic taste in horror movies mm-hmm. just because of the bumpers that she's given us in the episodes. And I guess the first thing is, at what age did you start getting turned on to horror films and did that relationship with your mother play a part in it? You know, did she help instigate that love in there or, you know, at least that admi- admiration? It's a good question, Matthew. Thank you for asking. Um, I did good. I did a good monocle. You did good. You did a good monocle. You did a good monocle. Joe would be proud. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because I was thinking about this this past week when I knew that I was going to be the guest and I, you know, I was the quote unquote guest. I was trying to kind of like remember how my own origin stories with horror went. And you know, I didn't, we'll talk about the movies in a sec um, because there was a, definitely a come to Jesus moment for me in, in, in horror cinema. But I think like a lot of people my age, you know, I'm 36 years old. I grew up in the eighties and nineties is like my formative childhood years. Um, like a lot of kids my age, I kind of gravitated towards, you know, scary books first, like goosebumps and scary stories to tell in the dark. And 
that was all, you know, those were all things that, um, that I engaged with and, and kind of probably, you know, planted the seed for what would eventually become the horror movie fan that I am. But I think the story, the, the difference in my story than the story that we've heard so many times on the podcast before is like everybody that comes on the podcast says, I saw this movie or I read this book and it scared the shit out of me. And then I was hooked for life. That was not me. Like I loved goosebumps as a kid because I loved to read and I loved going to the scholastic book fair and like using whatever money I had that my mom had given me to like buy books and buy the goosebumps books. Like I liked reading stuff, but I never liked being scared. One of the stories that, that I like to tell that kind of like, like hopefully will put you in sort of the psychological mindset of, of what kind of a scared child I was. I had this emotionally devastating fear as a child of being the last person awake in the house. I don't know where it came from and I don't know what kind of where, like why that happened the way that it did. But specifically when I was probably seven or eight years old, eight or nine years old, we had moved to a house that were like my bedroom and my brother's bedroom were on opposite sides of the house. So like I kind of had half the house to myself and it was awesome. And then it was terrifying because I realized like in my, in my vivid imagination, I thought that if bad things happened to me, you know, nobody would be able to hear it in time because I was what, like 10, 10 fucking steps away from my, from my parents and my brother. So, you know, one of the, one of the memories that I can tap into that still makes me feel like uncomfortable and nostalgic and a weird mix is like my parents would stay up reading at night in the living room and they would like read books and they would listen to music and they had these world music collections that they would listen to. And I would sit in my room like terrified for 30 minutes because when the music stopped playing, they would get up and they would go to bed and they'd turn off the lights and I'd be alone. So, you know, there were, there were multiple times in my childhood I can vividly remember, and I'm not someone who remembers their childhood particularly well, but I can vividly remember times where I'd get out and my dad was up reading, but he'd fallen asleep and I'd like sneak to the CD player and like start the album again, because I thought in my head, I was like, if the music continues to play, my dad will continue to sleep and then I will be able to fall asleep before they did. I was a scared ass kid. Like I was terrified of scary stuff. I had nightmares when I would like stumble across different things. I remember, you know, when I was in fifth grade, a friend of mine had me watch one episode of X-Files at a sleepover. And it was a, um, it was, it was, I don't remember what episode, but it was one of the ones with like a serial killer. It was kind of like a fallen type thing where the serial killer had like bounced through generations and the spirit of the serial killer went from like father to son. And like, I didn't sleep that night. Like I literally stayed up like in a nervous shake. I think that night I had to call my parents and be like, come get me because it scared me so, so fucking bad. And that was, that was my childhood for the most part. I, my parents didn't have a TV growing up because they thought that, um, you know, kids should use their imaginations and we should be playing outside and stuff and we should be engaged with kids in our neighborhood and having fun. So, you know, my, my mom, we'll talk about her in a bit. My mom is a huge horror fan. Both my parents like movies, but it, the idea was that if they didn't raise us with a television, we'd read more or we would play more and we'd be more creative as a result of that. And I think they got that half right. Like, I think, yes, you know, we were more creative, but the flip side of that is like, I spent a good 14, 13, 14 years of my life being scared of my own shadow. Everything scared the shit out of me. And it wasn't until high school that I kind of had that moment where I like got over it and started embracing horror movies. I think I could break the land speed record for running up basement stairs at a certain point, because in my house, the, the hangout area where if I wanted to be away from my parents and have a little bit of privacy was our basement. And it was one of those stereotypical, not bad. It was finished carpets, things of that nature. But at night, same thing to you, Monocle. 
if I was the last one awake and my oh, parents man. were like in bed and I was in the basement, let alone a different room, you know, like all the lights are out. So I have a completely dark path back to my bedroom. Uh, as a little kid, I was very much the same. So I, I have, I, as you were talking about that, I had that like visceral reaction mm-hmm. myself and just thinking about all the times I would hit the lights. And as I hit the lights, you start running up the steps and you were out of that stairwell. It was like, I, I think it was like two seconds. I, I, I had a lot of steps to cover, but man, that was like an Olympic time for me. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I bet, I bet that this is one of those things that if I talked to more people and I was like, oh, I was terrified of being the last one awake as a kid. Like I would talk to so many people and they'd be like, oh yeah, I had that same fear. Like this is super common. But like when you're six, seven, eight years old and you're afraid of being the last one awake, you just, you feel like you're in some kind of psychological, emotional island. Like you feel like there is no world other than than the 10 feet from you to your parents' bedroom. And like, you are going to die. You are going, you're just going to die. Like you go to bed, you're still, you try and force yourself to sleep before your parents wake up. You know that they've gone to bed and you're dead. You're just like dead. That's it. Which is a crazy thing about, I was just going to say, it's crazy to think about because we know that now based on the horror movies we've seen. And we know that based on those long tracking shots down hallways and right into the blackness. And that's where the monster comes out of. But it sounds like me and you had the same kind of upbringing where at that age, I didn't really have that kind of influence because I wasn't watching that many horror movies. So I guess it was just imaginative at our points. We, We were just afraid of everything. So the darkness alone. Yeah, no, no, I'm just terrified. Yeah. And, you know, you've talked about your your love of Chucky, right? And like how that, um, that connected with you. And you, just another story, like the, the degree to which my imagination controlled my fears as a kid is, you know, my cousin one night, that one specific night, and again, I don't remember my childhood, but I remember the things that scared me and the things that embarrassed me. Congratulations. Thank you, brain. Um, but one night, uh, my cousin came over and as a kid, I had one of those, my buddy dolls. And if you're a certain age, I said my buddy and instantly, you knew what I was talking about. If you're not a certain age, you don't know what I'm talking about and that's okay. Go look it up on YouTube, go look up kid's sister. You're going to like light bulbs are going to go on. But my buddy was like this childhood friend doll. It is explicitly what the child's play franchise is based on. Um, and you know, my, my cousin and I, he was sleeping over. We'd never seen this film before. We'd never seen child's play, but we'd heard sort of like a cultural osmosis of, uh, of Chucky. And, you know, we were, we were tossing this doll around because you're rambunctious, you know, like seven-year-old boys, this is what you do. You break shit. You know, we were up at night, the door was closed and we were like slamming the doll around and throwing the doll around and like tossing him from bed to bed and having a really good time. And I don't remember which one of us said, Oh, he's like child's play Chucky first from that evening on the moment one of us made that connection in our head, that doll went into a plastic bag in the garage, the top shelf of the garage. And he never ever came out. I'd had that doll for like years, but the moment I made the link between that like kids doll that I had and the child's play movies, even though I'd never seen the child's play movies, I never saw, I never saw that doll again. I begged my dad to get rid of him and he did. Innocence ruined. That's what that is right there. It It was. Yeah. And I, Judging by that reaction from you, I think a lot of kids would also have that same reaction. Mm -hmm. And also going back to what you were just saying, I think a lot of kids would have that same, or sorry, a lot of adults thinking back on their childhood would have that same connection of, oh yeah, no, the darkness, absolutely not. Like being the last one awake in the house, absolutely not. As long as someone else is awake, I'm safe. But in any case, so now you're talking about that was your first experience. Yeah, it was elementary, middle school. was a lot of, was a lot of me being afraid. 
Right. And that was your first experiences with horror without mm-hmm. even knowing it, I think. So let's now fast forward to when was the first time you get the TV? So when, when do you actually have something that can play movies and that kind of media? Yeah. So, um, you know, as a, as a quick aside too, I think it's, it's interesting to see how much of our lives have been defined by things that we didn't actually know anything about, right? Like all of these things that scared me as a kid were things that I were told were bad, but never had first experience with, um, as an Irish Catholic kid, the, the, that idea, that repressed thing, that really resonates to me. It's kind of core to my identity. Um, but okay. So the first R rated movie, I think the first R rated movie that I watched, um, at least the one that I can remember is my, I was at a, was going to go to a birthday party down the street for a friend of mine. His name was Weston Eiler. Um, the things that we remember. And he, there was something about the birthday party of the timing and the things they were going to do that my dad was like, I don't want you to go probably like this kid is weird. He, he, he was weird. Weston, if you're listening, you're fucking weird. So like, you know, I, I heard stories about you in high school, you know, whatever. I'm not, I'm not disappointed. I didn't go to your party, but my dad was basically like, Hey, I got to give my kid something because he was planning, you know, exciting to do this thing. So he went out and he rented a VHS player from Blockbuster, which is a story that instantly dates me. And he rented two movies. And I think trying to remember what the, I know one of them was the running man, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, like chase movie. Uh, I don't remember what the other one was, but it was also rated R. So I think it must've been like, it must've been Terminator two, something like that. Cause that would have been around the right time. And that like, that was formative to my love of films because that was one of the first times. And I'm sure my dad had taken me to see movies at the movie theater. You know, I'm sure I'd grown up watching things like Lion King. I have vague recollections of doing that, but that was one of the first times that I remember watching a movie that I was like, I was so aware that this was a movie for adults, that this was something that I, that I had crossed some imaginary threshold from the world of things that you absorb as kids to like things that you, that adults do. This is what they're doing, right? Like when you go to bed, adults are just like watching the running man 24 seven. So it was, that was kind of the beginning of me being like, Oh, I'm really into movies. And then it really like, it really wasn't, I think until sophomore year of high school. And I've lost this. This is something that I've lost a memory that I don't have anymore. At some point me spending years being like, I'm not into scary movies, like scary movies aren't my thing at all. In some circumstance, in some social setting, whatever it was, I got it into my head that I really needed to watch Evil Dead 2. And I don't remember why, because that was the farthest thing, the farthest thing from the type of stuff that I would watch. I was like, I was a straight up Star Wars and Star Trek kid. That was, that was my jam. Like if you wanted to know who I was in middle school, you wouldn't talk about horror at all. You would just talk about Star Wars and you know, the Star Wars extended universe books. That was my world. And in sophomore year of high school, I got it in my head that I wanted to watch Evil Dead 2. And my my mom rented it for me and I watched it. And suddenly this thing that had scared me, you know, I've talked on the podcast before about watching in middle school, watching Tremors 2 and being terrified. I just mentioned watching X-Files, like all this stuff that I was like, I don't have the capacity for it. I watched Evil Dead 2 and it was it was glorious. Like it was funny and it was scary and it was creative and there was all this stuff going on. And there it was just like this thing that unlike any movie I'd ever seen before. And that was it. That that for some reason, once it was one of those moments in my life where once you flip a switch in your head, you can't that like it breaks and you can't go back. And whatever the before was and whatever the after was and whatever happened to me during that, you know, 
that month before I watched Evil Dead 2 that I don't remember. All I remember is that there was before Evil Dead 2 and then there was after Evil Dead 2. And after I saw Evil Dead 2 for the first time, it was fucking on anything that I could find, you know, from reanimator to whatever weird ass, like I watched castle freak in high school. I don't remember particularly caring for it. I got to go back and watch it some other time. Like everything that I could find, I would go through that horror VHS and DVD shelf at blockbuster and just mainline the shit out of all of these things I could find. It's a cliche and it's not a particularly creative, you know, euphemism, but it was like giving somebody who's dying of thirst a glass of water. Like this thing that I had spent a good 15 years of my life, 14 years of my life avoiding as much as I could. Suddenly it was the only thing that I wanted. And I became the guy that would go to like parties and like try and put on the really gross horror movies. Everybody's like, Matt, we're not going to fucking watch that. And I was like, Oh, it's so good. What are you talking about? Come on. And that was like, that was it. Once it evil dead too. Once I was, once I had turned that corner, there was no going back. So here's a question. And you know, again, being an Alaskan, Mm -hmm. were there a lot of people into the same kind of things that you were, you know, you just mentioned the party story and I don't know. I feel, I feel like maybe in Alaska, there was a different kind of atmosphere going on that you were growing up in. And especially you're talking about growing up with a household without a television, because you know, you're more wilderness oriented. You have more things to do there. It was, was there a cinema culture, I guess I would say in a way, or were you the only one at the time in your friend group going like, like you just said, Hey, let's watch castle freak. And then going, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Um, well it's, uh, you know, it's, it depends a bit because part of the reason I think why my parents did not get a television, um, just other than the fact that, you know, I didn't have a lot of money when we grew up and a television back in those days was a hugely expensive investment. Um, but probably part of it too had to, to deal with the fact that, you know, like they were worried about mature adult content and the kind of things that we might see. And, you know, as I got older, my parents got a little bit more religious. And so that kind of influenced too. And I was a very, very, I've alluded to this before, but I was a super fucking straight edge kid. Like I was, the music minister at religious retreats. I did like Bible camps where I would teach, you know, elementary school students while I was in high school, you know, Bible songs and things like that. I was, I was very, let's say of that life. And at the same time I was becoming a really big horror fan. And it was this weird disconnect in my personality where like, you know, I was sort of grasping to mom, turn off the podcast here. I was sort of grasping to this um, this sense of self, this religious identity that I had, that, I, that it was slipping away from me. And even, you know, junior year of high school, I, I knew it was slipping away from me. And I was also like, maybe as my form of rebellion against that, I was watching all of these like really violent and gross and nasty horror films, horror films that now I look back and be like, I just, I just like that because it was gross. Like it's not actually any good, but I was just like, wow, this is so transgressive of me. Look how mature I am. And as a result, I kind of had like weird pockets of friends. Like I did have a few friends that, that, you know, I, I could be horror buddies with, uh, Will Ryan, who's a, a, a patron of our podcast. And, you know, we've, we've read bumpers from him on the air before, you know, he and I became friends freshman, sophomore year of high school, and we were movie buddies. We'd go see whatever we could. The only R rated movie I ever snuck into because I was very straight edge was with Will and it was a uh, pitch black, still a great fucking movie. But at the same time, I had kind of like my religious friends from middle school and high school that I was kind of transitioning away from. And the people that I think of as my close Alaskans now are the people that I kind of met later in in high school. And, you know, buddies like my buddy Mike and others, we would start having movie nights and watching a lot of violent stuff. And it was it was it was very much like my 
as, as I think about it now, my evolving interest in horror was a kind of a perfect parallel for me slowly transitioning into the adult that I would become over those four years in high school. The things we do for Vin Diesel. It was worth it. Like he legit, it was legit. Like the movie theaters in downtown Juneau, Alaska, he went out and found somebody who was leaving a bar because the bars in the movie theater are like right next door to each other. And he was like 20 bucks. Say you're my uncle, get us into this movie. And it happened. It's the only time I ever did that. Only time. Oh, I so ever you didn't did. even sneak in. You did the legitimate BR, BR parent. Well, I think it's, I think it takes more effort to like pay off a guy. To oh, it does. To be. Yeah, that's harder. That's hard. I think that's harder. So I'm going to say we snuck in. A hundred percent. I, I, I give you more credit for doing what you did because it sounds like a, a sitcom sketch and not just, you know, in Jersey, it was so simple to buy the ticket for the wrong mm-hmm. movie and just slip in. There were no attendees and things of that nature. Fun fact, I never did actually sneak into a movie. That is one of the things I've never done. Yep. I was talk about straight edge. I, people who know me may laugh at this now, but I was as straight as they came in uh, high school, even into college a little bit. And there was no, sneaking into movies there was no funny story so super quickly uh, this is your episode but i know no, no, no. i want to hear it i got grounded for being the designated driver for my friends at a party i was the only one not drinking at my friend's house and all they did was get drunk together and play beer pong and do nothing stupid just parents weren't home this is high school and i got grounded because i was around alcohol I was the responsible one. I was the one that made sure my friends all got home safe. And I was the one that lost car privileges for like two weeks because my parents were like, you still shouldn't have been there. All right. I got to, I got to counter that with a quick story too. It's not mine, but it's my dad's. You'll appreciate this. Go, go. My, gra- my grandfather was a state trooper. Um, is a straight, well, he's still alive, but he was a straight trooper, state trooper. When my straight dad, trooper. <laughs> straight trooper, when my dad went to high school, um, it was customary at the end of high school that everybody went to the, they would take boats to this Island and they would all just get like shit faced. It was like a weird Alaskan thing that you would do. Very Alaskan story. Uh, and you know, the parents were kind of in on it. There were some parents that would like chaperone and make sure nobody got hurt, but they were cool with it. My grandfather signed up to chaperone and my dad was like, listen, you know what happens at this thing? He was like, yeah, yeah. Everybody goes to the Island and drinks. My dad was like, what are you going to do if you see kids drinking? He was like, Oh, hundred percent. I'm going to bust them. And so my dad said, like, listen, I don't want you to do this. Don't sign up for this. And he said, if you don't want me to sign up for this, that's fine. But I'm not going to their high school graduation. And he didn't. My grandfather did not go on the drinking skip day, but he also did not attend my dad's high school graduation. So this is this is the kind of like lo- like rules followers monocle background that I come from is like if you made an exchange like that, you had to pay the price. Yep. No, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I think, I think both our stories kind of define ourselves a little bit because yep. my story was kind of like, I had that moment where I'm like yelling at my mom back to her. Cause I'm like, you realize that you're punishing me for doing the right thing. So why the hell didn't I just do the wrong thing? And my dad grabbed her and he goes, yep, Matt said the right thing. We're going to leave the room now. <laughs> He's like literally pushing my mom out of the room to be like, Kathy, we're going to talk about this later. <laughs> Cause I, the one time that I turned it around on them and they were like, Oh fuck. Are we overparenting? And Whoops. like they just ran out of my room. <laughs> In any case, let's get back to you. All right, so we're getting back into your life. And I want to skip past to the part now where you have gotten to New York. Because correct me if I'm wrong, you went right from Alaska to New York City. Incorrect. Um damn it. No, you're good. So there was I went to I had friends in Texas. So when I was looking at college, I took a year off after high school where I found myself, uh, I worked at a movie theater for 40 hours a week and then back stumbled into a college application. 
Um, I went to four years of college in San Antonio, Texas, and then I tried to move to Austin. And this was in 2007 at the height of the recession. It did not work. I moved back to Alaska for five years, four years, something like that. Um, Let's say four years. That feels right. And then I, after four years in Alaska, I uh, realized that I was either going to leave now or stay there forever. And that is when I moved to New York City. So that's actually funny because I don't count college as that move out experience for some reason. In my mind, college is just, not everyone does the move out for college. And I understand that. And we Mm -hmm. all make choices and things of that nature. I should have done community for two years myself just to save money. I know these things now, but. Oh yeah, me too. You know, for those people that do move out and go on campus and do things of that nature, I, I still feel like that's a contained environment and I don't count that as quote unquote moving out just yet. So I'm well, cutting right to no, but you do ahead. you do have to you know you do have to give some credit to the fact that as somebody that grew up in a small town in southeast Alaska, true. moving to San Antonio, population more than a million, that was a that was a big deal. And one of the things that I say, you know, my alma mater was great. I had teachers who influenced my life. Um, I'm proud to consider my college advisor a friend of mine to this day. He's one of the best teachers I've ever had. But. I don't think I could have made it in any other city because San Antonio, if you've never been, and if we have listeners in San Antonio, you're awesome. San Antonio has such a unique blend of like big city, small town that that was the only place I could have landed on my feet because if I tried to go directly from Alaska to New York, I would have flamed out. So it's, yeah, it it was even getting to a place like San Antonio when you grew up in Southeast Alaska was like, holy shit, I can't believe I did this. All right. So you're in college then let's, let's go to the college years and Little little fish, big city. You're mm-hmm. figuring things out. Is horror coming more into your life in college in the sense that we talked about my experiences? That's definitely where I discovered my love, love of horror. And that's where the dedication came from. Uh, did you follow the same path where now you have this thing brewing inside of you? You know you want to explore it further. And did you find the right people then in college maybe that brought it out of you even more? I did. Um, I had a couple of good friends that were big into horror movies um, and just generally violent stuff, right? Like, what is it, Rick, The Legend of Rikio or whatever the name of that is? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So you like had friends, had friends that were big into like violent movies and we would have horror movie nights and it was great. I have a friend of mine, James, uh, shout out James if you're listening, who was born on Halloween, born on October 31st. And so, you know, celebrating his birthday every year with horror films was always a big deal for him. Um, but really for me, college was less about like embracing my inner horrorness. Although I was writing about, basically I was writing about horror movies every single time I could. Um, and I was writing about horror video games at that time too. Like basically every class was an excuse to do that. But it was really, college was the first time that I realized that there was a niche for for writers, that like writing about movies was this thing that not other people did. Because, you know, again, the Southeast Alaska thing, the movie industry seems a million miles away from you, right? And like your opinions about stuff. You know, when I was a, when I was in middle school, I wrote one review for our free weekly newspaper. When I was in high school, I wrote two reviews for our high school newspaper. And that was like, those were like, oh shit, I can't believe I did that. Holy fuck, I wrote a review for the Capital City Weekly, Circulation 8000 or whatever. And you're kind of like, that's as good as it's going to get. And the thing that I kind of learned or the thing that I discovered in college and in the years following college, especially when I was at kind of, you know, pre-Twitter, pre-social media, when you're you're just sort of like popping around websites and reading stuff and you're having online forums and things, is that film criticism wasn't something that belonged to you, to LA and New York. It wasn't something that belonged to these communities where you basically, you either lived there or you were part of it already. And, you know, 
if you weren't, then you got to watch. Uh, it was something where like, especially like I, in, in college, my biggest dream and things aren't going to work out that way. And I'm okay with that. I have opportunities to engage with it, but I came out of my undergrad program really excited to be a, a film professor. That was what I want to do. I wanted to teach people film and I wanted to teach specifically about horror films. And there's probably an opportunity for me to do that later in life. But that was kind of like, even that was like the idea that there was a market for somebody like me to maybe teach other people about film was the most exciting thing that I think that I could, could ever have thought of at the you know, age 20, 21. So now let's, all right, here's the part I want to get into because Everyone who's listened to the podcast so far, I think you know by this point what a monocle movie and a Donato movie is. And I think that definition is pretty clear in the sense that I have definite flavor preferences for the comedic, the practically gruesome, mm-hmm. and the not taking itself so seriously, where Mr. Monocle is all about the the dark, the dour, and the period-based. So as someone who started with Evil Dead 2... And I'm talking about you, Mr. Monagle. Mm-hmm. How did you turn into the almost exact opposite of what that movie is? Like, what? Why? Why did these period-based somber flicks take over? And how did that change start to happen? Yeah, it's a fair question because I did. Like, I cut my teeth with horror comedy. I think, like a lot of people do. And you know, I was on the hunt for most of my 20s for the best horror comedy movies that I could find. I think part of it, part of it was just. All right. Part of it was probably the idea that, that, that there is a specific type of horror movie that really makes me feel a lot of feelings. And that is the kind that you've just described, right? Like we've talked about movies like Sana. We've talked about the black coat's daughter, like something with this impending sense of dread, um, that sort of like builds to a horrific crescendo where it's not like, it's not a set piece, right? Like big things don't necessarily happen, but these like emotionally traumatic experience and cathartic things happen. Those are still, still the kind of movies that make me that make me feel the most they're the ones that get under my skin and i think that that's part of it is just like we don't get scared anymore right like we've watched so many horror movies that that most people that watch horror movies you might jump because a really well crafted jump scare is still you know premium currency in our world but you're not going to watch a movie and like be jumpy around the house afterwards but for me a lot of these kind of like lingering lingering scary sort of things like these movies that that barter and dread instead of horror that's the stuff that does like it lingers. It's it's like you blow out a candle and you still smell it in the room. You know, you can kind of like see the tendrils of smoke wafting around. Like that's the kind of stuff that just sticks with you. So I think, I think that's part of it. I think that's part of the emotional connection I have to those films is a big piece of that. But the other side of that too, is when I was in college, I went to college originally because I wanted to be a music major. Um, I was a musical theater kid in high school. And I think that my appreciation for horror is inexorably tied forever tied to my love of music and the kind the kind of music that I really gravitated toward, which is like, you know, folksy is a good way to put it, but I like, I like non-electronic music. I like traditional instruments. I'm a big fan of Irish trad music, traditional music. Like I like the kind of instrumentation that you might've heard a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago. And so many of the films that I love have the same sort of like acoustic droney stripped down lo-fi soundtracks um, as a lot of the folk music that I listen to. So I think part of it too is just, you know, the music that I love, the music that makes me really like, ah, yeah, also happens to be the kind of music that these filmmakers are drawn to. Uh, And that's why I own the soundtrack to Hagazusa on vinyl because that soundtrack is fucking brilliant. And that movie is fucking brilliant. And there aren't films 
They combine those two pieces quite as well as that one. That is a perfect imperfect embodiment of Matt Monagle as a music lover and Matt Monagle as a film lover. And you've also recently tweeted that a goal of yours is to someday write a book about specifically Irish horror. And so now we've gotten so far away from Evil Dead 2 that we get into the saunas, we get into the Hagazuzas, and somehow you've found yourself in love with Celtic horror, which is folklore-based a lot, so that makes sense based on what you just said, but talk to me about that. You know, How did you find out that Irish horror specifically was your jam? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a couple of things. One, I'm, I'm Irish. Monocle is a very Irish last name. And I had the, the very, the very lucky experience of going to Irish a few years ago, Irish going to Ireland a few years ago, um, where it was just like every, every, look, every fucking white guy with an Irish last name is like, fuck yeah, Ireland. It's weird. Blah, blah, blah. But like that, I, I, that was it. I am a cliche. I am vanilla. I went to Ireland and I loved it. So part of that is just like, it spoke to me. But, you know, I think as I think about this stuff and I think about the upbringing that I had, I can't help but notice that so much of it is tied back to my time in Alaska in a way that I never really anticipated. Because for years, the only thing that I ever wanted to do was get away from Alaska. It was the only thing in the world that I wanted. I fucking hated it there. I hated the career path that I was on. I hated a lot of the people, not a lot of the people. I hated some of the people that I knew and hung out with. I hated like I hated so much about it. And I've, my relationship that has changed now, I'm actually, when COVID is over, I'm really excited to go back to Juneau, um, see my family and my friends, of course, but also kind of like start seeing my hometown with new eyes. That's that's an exciting proposition to me. But so much of like what I think of is the moods, the atmospheres, and the ambiance that I like in music and in horror films and Irish film in particular, you know, it is it is a lot of the stuff that I grew up with. It's folkloric. You know, Alaska is full of mythology. It's full of both native Alaskan, Clinkett and Ida myths. Um, it's full of like short days and lots of rain. It's the tenuous barrier between civilization and rural living. You know, in Alaska, you can walk out of your house and walk for five minutes and you're in the middle of a national protected rainforest. You're as likely to see a bear wandering through your backyard as you are to see your own cat or dog wandering through your backyard. Like there's just a lot of, there's a lot of my upbringing that, that kind of played on those boundaries between the urban and the rural, the mythic, the folkloric, um, the historical, and kind of like being in a community that, that sort of romanticizes its own 19th century roots. Like you think you get away from that stuff to, to quote Magnolia, you may be through with the past, but the past is not through with you. And so the older I get and the more I kind of go through life embracing the arts that I like, the more that I realize, like, oh shit, like growing up in when the sun set at 3 p.m. Uh, in the middle of the winter and, you know, cold and dark and wet and reading stories about like monsters and creatures and animals in the Alaska ruralness. I'm like, ah, this, I hate to admit it, this got under my skin. This was formative and this helped define my taste and who I am in a way that I never would have admitted to, maybe even five years before I never would have admitted to. So, you know, the Irish thing in particular is sort of an offshoot of that. Like I am predisposed because of my upbringing to really love the types of folkloric, dark, sad, moody kind of Irish horror films that are being popularized right now and standing out right now. So it's kind of a perfect combination of all things that I am. Last question before we take a quick commercial break, quote mm -hmm. unquote. Did you have any experiences talking about these Alaskan folklores, I guess, well, maybe in urban legends or whatnot? Because Jersey, we had the Jersey Devil. We had Clinton Road. We, we all have our superstitions. 
Did you have any uh, interactions or let's call them close calls with anything you might say in the folklore area and growing up in Alaska? I did not. Um, but the native Alaskan myth, the one that always resonated the most with me is the myth of the Kushtaka. And a Kushtaka, I think it actually literally translates to otter man. Um, and I'm sorry if I got that wrong. But the Kushtaka was this creature in Native, Native Alaskan folklore that was basically a shapeshifter who would drown, who would lure people to the water and drown them to death. And so the idea there is that you know, the Kushtaka was famous for mimicking the sound of either a baby crying or a young woman in need of help. And you would like go to the water, and of course it's dark out, so you can't see. And you would go to the water and try and see if somebody was in the water and needed rescuing, and they would pull you underwater and they would drown you. Um, so that is that is a myth that my brother and I have been obsessed with. The Kushtaka plays a really fun part. There aren't there is a short film that played at a bunch of Pacific Northwestern festivals, science fiction and horror festivals in 2018 that was about the Kushtaka, but it's one of those regional things that didn't really hasn't really come through. And I don't have a story, but when I was growing up, my dad did, and it's probably bullshit because a lot of my dad's stories turned out to be bullshit. I love you, dad. You lied to me so much. Um, but this one in particular, you know, he tells us a story about when he was out um, camping as, as a 20 something or a teenager young man. And he happened to be in this lake and he saw a shape on the other side of this lake because it was not a huge lake, but that was kind of like mirroring his images. And when he started to move faster, the shape started to move faster. When he started to run, the shape started to run. And it was like, you know, probably you know, a thousand, a thousand feet across the water from him. But that's his Kushtaka story. And the way he would tell it and embellish it as a kid, it really got under my skin. So if you ever want to know what like the premier, the Jersey devil, the Wendigo, whatever you like, whatever your regional uh, equivalent is in other places, it's the Kushtaka in Alaska. And that is a fascinating and just totally unnerving creature. I think that's a good place to take a short break on shape-shifting otters. Mm -hmm. And when we return, we're going to get into a little bit of the certified forgotten portion of this and where Matt Monagle came with the idea to Matt Donato. So we'll be right back. Hey, so this is the period in the show where we usually say thank you to our patrons who have helped support us, who have helped promote new writers and help get new voices on the site. And that's true. That's always true. We're always grateful for the work that they put in. Um, but, you know, this being the Thanksgiving season and us feeling like we're in a thankful mood, we kind of wanted to expand. Instead of having bumpers this week, and don't, don't worry, we'll get back to the bumpers in the next episode, we wanted to expand a little bit and sort of more generally talk about what we're thankful for. These last two episodes have been a period of introspection for Certified Forgotten, as Matt and myself have talked about our own journeys as horror fans. So we're going to take a moment here and say, when it comes to Certified Forgotten 2020, what are we thankful for? And Donato, I, I liked yours, so I'm going to let you go first, man. Sure. I'm going to take the schmaltzy-ish route, and I will say that I'm thankful to our listeners. And I'm going to say specifically because when Mr. Monagle and I hatched this idea for a podcast, insane, kind of really niche concept, we weren't sure if it was going to work, and we haven't taken over the world per se, but the feedback we have gotten so far is better than we were expecting. So I am thankful for everyone that has been listening to us and listening to these ramblings and has been allowing us to continue because we weren't even sure if anyone would listen. 
Yeah, I mean, we knew our we knew our moms would listen. Ah, uh, two. We had two. That's true. We had a we had a base of two. You know, if we were doing market research for a new product launch, we would say this appeals to two people in our target demo. But now we have found a bigger demo somehow. So to everyone that has said the nice things, to everyone that has been on board with this and supported this in a listener capacity, because we'll get to the other supporters too. Thank you very much. I'm thankful for you. Yeah, and I'm going to piggyback off that for my thank you. And yes, this is, as Donato says, this is schmaltzy and it's feel good, but we want to take a moment and, and you know, have a little bit of sincerity as we come off this two episode, this, this, this backstory episode duo that we've done. I'm going to say thank you to our writers. It is the hardest thing in the world um, to put the energy together and to pitch. It is the hardest thing in the world to know what sites you can trust. And it's the hardest thing in the world to trust that a site that says they're going to pay you is actually going to pay you. So for all of those reasons, you know, to, to write for two guys that are starting their new site, to trust the editorial process, to trust us to know when to make changes and when not to make changes, when your stuff is just good enough as is, and to kind of give your pieces over to us and to let us try and put them in the best position to succeed. You know, we're immensely proud of the types of films that we've covered on the podcast so far and on the website so far. And we're immensely proud of the writers that we've had and have contributed. And there's some people that we did not know before you pitched and you made your case, you wrote your piece, and we're just so happy to have you in our community. And we're so happy to be able to amplify your voice going forward and share some of the content that you have there. So yes, yes, this is a schmaltzy bumper section. This is a very schmaltzy break, but without our listeners, without our readers, without our writers, it's just us. And you know, we're okay, but but that that was never that was never the idea here. That was never the goal. Yeah, I, I, I'm just thankful that people trust us. I don't, I don't know how that mm-hmm. happened, but we got we got here somehow. Yeah, turns out you can trust some strangers on the internet. Our parents were wrong. Yeah, mostly. Well, on that note, let's get back to the episode. And we're back with Matt Monagle, who has just given us the history of his Alaskan upbringing and where he came into horror her adoration will say i think i think you've become an adorer so now we've come to the portion where let's talk about certified forgotten and why you came to me i came to you we came together to create this little site empire whatever you'd like to call it someday monopoly i don't know maybe we're just thinking too far ahead in any case the beginnings why certified forgotten i think that's just the easiest question what why did you want to pursue this with me and what kind of drove that yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons. Um, one is, you know, in the intervening years since college and now, um, I don't want to say made a name for myself, but I'd realized that people will pay me to write about horror, and that's kind of exciting. So, you know, being able to continue connecting to the horror community in a way that I really wanted to um, around the time that we started discussing this, it was the first, uh, or the technically the second, second Fangoria death. And so, you know, there was this sense that that horror publications were in need that there was sort of a vacancy that that had filled and potentially a spot that we could fill with some of our mutual acquaintances and community. But, you know, as, as a, as a freelance horror critic, as a freelance film critic, as somebody that really liked these types of movies, some of the reasons were, you know, a, I just, I liked the cut of your jib. Um, I liked, I liked you, man. Cut, cut of my jib. I liked you, man. I wanted to get in business with you. I wanted to work with you. Um, we'd had a couple of good conversations at South by Southwest and some other festivals. And I was like, this guy, this Matt guy, I like him. I feel like he and I could do a thing together and it probably wouldn't suck. And that we have different enough personalities, but common enough souls that we would be able to, uh, we'd be able to, to make it work. Um, which is 
been proven out over the long run. So believe for me. Um, so that was part of it. Like, you know, there are a couple of people that I've gotten to know over the years where I'm like, I want to do, I'd like, I want to work with you. I want to work with you and I want to work with you. And I've been pretty good so far about making that happen, which I, which I like. But another part of it too, I think was starting with the podcast, we just recognized that there were, you know, you told the story on your episode of the New York city horror film festival stuff. And, you know, we were watching these movies and we were like, these are good movies. Like, why isn't anybody talking about them? You know, I think part of the problem for me is the horror genre. Um, the horror genre has a really high signal to noise ratio. Uh, and I think that's gotten better. I think that's gotten better over the last few years because I think it's not that we're releasing fewer horror movies. I think it's just that there's that there's a lot more people that are doing the work of kind of surfacing the ones that are good in a lot of different places. But part of the issue there was that like, there's just, there are so many horror movies. The synopsis of them, if you read nothing but like a one-liner, it's a hard thing to sell in a sentence, especially some of the films that we've talked about on the podcast before, um, that stuff falls through the cracks. You know, it can't help but fall through the cracks because there is not, there's not anything that keeps horror movies propped up in the way that there are other movies, right? Like if you watch a movie, an independent film, you know, starring, I don't know, let's say Michael Fassbender, like, there will always be people that seek that film out because it has Michael Fassbender because there is a star, a name attached to it. And so that movie, you know, like shame, for example, like shame will always have a corner of the internet dedicated to it because people are going to be like, it's fucking shame. It's got Michael Fassbender. Like you got to go see it. Um, not that that's particularly independent, but you know what I mean? So I yeah. think that the challenge for horror for me was just like, because the great thing about the genre is that there isn't the need for star power. Like a lot of this is first time filmmakers, first time actors, people that are breathing some life into something that by all accounts shouldn't really exist. There isn't that same hook, you know, you're looking at a sea of entries where, you know, Hansel and Gretel get baked and sauna look sort of the same in terms of, I don't know who these people are. I don't know. And if you're going to see one of them, you might go see Gretel and Hansel get baked because it's got Laura Flynn Boyle and you know who that name is. Um, so it's kind of like this idea for me that I was like, there's all these movies that are falling through the cracks because you, there's a, such a strong educational component to horror. You have to, you have to make people care. You have to do the work of showing people why something matters because they're not going to, unless they're like hardcore fans of the genre, they're not going to be drawn to the stuff anyways. And even those that are, aren't drawn to the types of movies that I love, like horror fans are not knocking down the door to go say, go see AJ and Illa's sauna, which is a top three horror film of all time for me, because it's not, it's not an easy sell in the way that a lot of these other types of movies are easy sells. So it was, it was an education and awareness thing for me primarily. It's just, I wanted to be able to look at films and say, you're going to, these are stuff that falls through the cracks. Like these are things that people don't talk about enough. And we're going to talk about them because nobody is telling us not to. So fuck it. So number one, I, I think we have done a pretty good job not sucking to this mm -hmm. point. <laughs> so congratulations us. Uh, if this is the first episode that sucks, that's my fault <laughs> because I mean, I technically have it's duties. my fault because I've been talking for most of the episode. So let's be honest here. No, no, no. Uh, we will be returning to our regularly scheduled hosting of Matt Monagle <laughs> next time. So those listening, if you are just gritting your teeth and going, when is Donato going to shut the hell up and stop hosting? That'll be next episode. But number two, I definitely do not think there are less horror movies coming out. I can tell you for a goddamn fact, I reviewed 22 new release horror films in October, mm -hmm. and that didn't count festival films. And that also doesn't count the numerous ones I could not review because writing almost a review a day 
in October. I think I literally wrote 28 reviews in October counting festivals. So I, I almost feel like the pendulum is swinging the other way now where we are getting so much horror that a lot of it's now becoming lost, not because no one's covering it. A lot of it's getting lost because people don't have the bandwidth to cover everything that's coming out. So I think we'll have a resurgence of titles that will be certified forgotten available to our guests all too soon, unfortunately, because I can tell you there were a hell of a lot of things I saw in October that people still aren't talking about. And that kind of sucks. Well, that that was always the part for me that was the most exciting, both when I was an undergrad and when I was lucky enough to uh, work my way up to a graduate program later and, and uh, get my degree in film studies is nothing is more fun for me than going back and like basically answering the question, why should you care about something? You know, I was going through and, and when I went, <laughs> when I went for my master's program, all I wrote about was horror. Like one base, I wrote about Cobb once because that movie's awesome. Um, and then the rest of it was horror stuff. And the reason for that is just like, it's so like, it's so exciting to just do deep dives into this stuff. And you know, one of my laments about the state of film criticism is that we've never done a particularly good job as an industry of kind of blending the academic and the culture critic because they just, they're talking to themselves. They're two self-contained audiences for the most part. And there are people that bridge those gaps. You know, there, there's Mary Beth McAndrews who does a really good job of that. There's Joe Lipset who does a really good job of that. These are both people that have been on the podcast in previous times, but I always, you know, I guess another kind of secret ambition for me here is that we can do a better job of crossing those worlds over because, you know, like I see so many horror fans that are like, Oh, I'm writing about this. And like, nobody's done this before. And I'm like, but they have, they just, they've done it in an obscure journal that you, you know, you don't have an academia.edu subscription. So you're not like reading that kind of stuff, but like, it, it's just those, those two, those two worlds just don't collide as much as I'd like. So I recognize that as an opportunity to kind of bring a little bit of the academic mindset to popular criticism and to bring a little bit of popular criticism to the academic mindset, which is basically like not everything we write about needs to be a 1960s film that was released on one VHS copy uh, and that got buried in an avalanche, right? Like you can also write, you can bring that same kind of academic rigor and mindset to like Scream 3 and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I just recently uh, didn't rewatch. I watched for the first time Peeping Tom. And just as you said, it is the discovery process is always ongoing for me, especially mm -hmm. I, we talked about in my episode. I didn't have a real horror upbringing, so I didn't have someone guiding me. I didn't have someone telling me everything I had to watch. My list has been growing for so long. But just like you said, like now there are features building in my head being like, I would love to write about Peeping Tom in relation to Friday the 13th and how they completely tied, like all these weird things. So yeah, I, I share your ambition with trying to give writers and our guests just the ability to listen, let's, let's bridge, bridge that gap a little bit. Let's, let's do yeah. that. But in thinking about that and in mentioning people we've had like Joe on Mary Beth, I want to hear from you, you know, so far I talked about kind of some of my favorite little memories we we've created so far. And I'm wondering, you know, if you have some moments that really on the podcast hit you in the right way and made you feel like we're we're on the right path here. Yeah, I think, um, you know, for sure, everything that you talked about in your episode where you mentioned the fact where we, and I, I don't know why we did this, it just seemed easier at the time, but where we switched gears from offering people a list of movies to bringing their own, that was a night and day switch. The quality of the podcast went up exponentially overnight and we thought we were doing people a favor and it turns out all we were doing was holding ourselves back. So once we started bringing in those guests and once we started bringing in the opportunity to talk about that kind of stuff, I think, I think things got really exciting. 
And, you know, I feel like the last, gosh, I want to say like the last five or six episodes we've had have been kind of a, a, a really great run for me. We've talked about you and I offline a bit. The notion that the podcast has really given us an excuse to engage heavily with the type of writers that we've always wanted to, but haven't necessarily had time or opportunity to do. And what I mean by that is that, you know, there's only so many hours a day, there are only so many pieces you can read, and there's only so many people that you can consider in your community. And it's been really one of the exciting things for me has been the ability to kind of like recognize some of these other talented writers out there that I did not necessarily know before, um, whose work I hadn't made time for before. And, you know, I, Joe and Mary Beth are, are two names that, that come to the top of my mind for me is because I was kind of familiar with their reputations before, but I hadn't really do- dove into their work. And, you know, like this, this podcast is just such a great excuse to sort of like grow our own community and to expose ourselves to some people that were like, I know this person is good. I've read a couple of their pieces, but I haven't really engaged with the totality of them and what they have to offer film criticism and horror criticism specifically. So that's kind of, that's been it. And then of course, whenever we, whenever we bite into something that's like super, super heavy, you know, like whenever we talk about those kind of movies that are, you know, like the saunas of the world, even though that predates our, our current thing. Um, though Ashley Blackwell is still an amazing guest. We've got to get back on. Like whenever we can kind of veer more into my kind of movies and talk about stuff that's really, really super fucking heavy, that tends to be when I get really excited. Not to say that I'm not excited for movies like Patchwork or, you know, other things that we bring in. Um, sorry, Tyler, if you're listening. That I'm not, ex- that, you know, like those those kind of movies that bridge more that horror comedy that I think of as Donato films. Like I'm always excited to talk about those kind of movies. And it's oftentimes the things that I'm going in with no expectations of that really blow my mind the most. But that said, you know, that is when I feel the most creatively fulfilled in the podcast is when we dig into some of these more serious, heavier movies that people haven't talked about that a guest brings us and is like, oh, we got to talk about this, you know, and then sometimes Ted comes on and brings up, you know, ass zombies or zombie ass toilet of the dead and, you know, Ted's a peach. So, um, which is still one of our better episodes. I'm sorry. I'm still throwing it. It is. The conversations we had about exploitation and cinema I like bar none. I think that's some of the best stuff we've done. I know it's about zombie ass, but still. Yeah. It, it, no. Yeah. 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 You're right. It is. Um, it's just that, that was a, a wild ride for me, I think just because that's not, that's not necessarily where I'm, where I'm going to go, but you know, there, there are like, I, you know, th- it's the stuff that surprised. There's, there's been episodes that really super surprised me. Like we talked about dead Mary with Zena Dixon, which is probably, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, D2V horror films I've ever seen now um, because Cena has great taste in movies and she brought that to us. You know, like Megan Navarro brought Burning Bright to us and that's a film that I had never thought to see before. Meredith Borders brought us Ojuju. These are films that sort of require us. Um, I'm going to also shout out Kaylin Corrigan with Rattle the Cage and our own Jenny Nolf with hair extensions. Like, a lot of these are movies that I probably wouldn't have gotten an opportunity to, to really engage with. And the one thing that I've always believed about myself, the one thing I know about myself more than anything is that I don't think well, unless I'm talking to other people about what I'm thinking about. Like I do not have as good ideas. If you put me in a room and have me write on my own and then give you something, I really enjoy the collaborative process about talking about stuff and any of the best ideas I've ever had as a writer came from me throwing out an okay idea, somebody throwing out a slightly better idea and then me coming back over the top with an even better idea. I need that give and take. Um, I, that's been true in school. That's been true in, in writing exercises. That's been true on the podcast. I am at my best when I talk to other people about horror 
And this podcast has basically given me an opportunity to, to really like re-engage myself and talk to other people. And I feel just so much more creatively engaged because of it than, than I do in other places. So what I'm hearing is that I bring out the best in you. You complete me. Okay. Yeah. I like that. So to borrow a phrase from Matt Monagle on just about every episode, as we round third and you know, we're turning towards home, I want to ask you one last question. And I don't think you asked this of me and I'm just kind of curious to how you respond to this. Mm -hmm. What is one goal that you still have for certified forgotten? You know, as we start to, I say this as saying that we've already hit the ground running. We've already found our groove. We have done all these things, but as we look to the future, we always want to just keep building upon this. And I am curious just to hear from you what you think, you know, is a goal that we should have moving forward. It's a good question. Um, I know it is. I know because I mm-hmm. outmonogled you. Yeah, I mean, there's there's questions. I mean, there's goals that we can set for the site that are altruistic, right? Like, I want to continue to bring on new and exciting guests. I want to have people we haven't had on come in and be on the site and write about cool things or be a guest on a podcast. I want to continue to expand our network of filmmakers and give people who don't always get an opportunity to talk about the films they love to talk about the movies. And that's all true. That's all 100% true. But when I think about Certified Forgotten and I think about what my goals are as, as a, a film critic and somebody who will always have a foot in this world, like I would love to fucking host a screening. I would love for Matt Donato and I to either in Los Angeles or Austin be able to program a film or a couple of films or be part of a festival or something like that and basically get up and say, here's a movie that we've talked about on the show before. We're super excited about it. We're going to have a conversation afterwards. Like this movie fucking rules. Watch it. I would love to be able to take the films that we rant and rave about and actually give them to somebody, give them to an audience and play it for them. Partially because I want to see something like Son on the big screen myself, um, but just partially because I like the idea of being able to engage more directly with our audience. Um, you know, I'd love to be able to do a live podcast recording in a festival or something like that. We've had lots of conversations about that. I think that would be fun, but really, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I, it's hard to say maybe someday we'll be a big brand. Maybe we won't. Uh, I think we both went into this expecting that we won't and kind of comfortable with that, right? Like we are, as you've discussed before, we're in a, we're lucky and privileged to be in a position where we can pursue this as a side project, as a business venture, as a partnership and a collaboration that exists outside of the things that we need to do and the things that we want to do in order to live our lives. Um, and that kind of gives it a sweet spot to be something that we'll always just we'll always just be pushing a little bit. We'll always be working on. But this is not a make or break project for either of us, either financially or creatively. And that makes it more important um, in a weird kind of way than either of those things because we don't ever have to bail on it. We don't ever have to fail at it. We can continue to do it until the day that we decide we don't want to anymore. Um, and that is, that's probably just not going to happen anytime soon. It will. I would like to confirm as the person you're talking to and the person on this venture with you, I have no intention of stopping this anytime soon. I feel like we are just, we are just getting to where we want to be in a way but we're still so far from where we can be. SEO, we've got more SEO to get. Yo, suck it, screen rant. (laughs) Which is pretty dope, by the way, though. That is pretty dope. (laughs) Like our first article on certifiedforgotten.com took, what, two months to be the number one SEO hit for Friday the 13th lawsuit. Shout out Lindsay Traves, Smash Traves. They don't call her Smash for nothing. I, I mean, 
Maybe. Maybe they do. I actually don't know how she got the nickname. Neither do I. I'll, we'll ask her someday. We should ask Oh, her. you know what? Cute take She's away. actually like number one on the podcast list. So actually, we'll, we'll know in the next episode. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, all right. Note to self. Smash Travs. What happened there? Spoiler alert. So for those of you listening, you have just made it through. We'll say the double bill of Matt origin stories. The Matts have now confessed where this all started, how this came to be, and you know, what you can kind of expect in the future. But also, I hope both of us make a little more sense now. (laughs) I think it's the best way I can put it. I hope all of this that you're listening to makes a little bit more contextual sense having a a real grasp of the beginnings of both mats. And you know what? I will say this. Even, Even if you're kind of like, okay, I get how you guys came into horror. The one thing that I think really stood out, really shown for me in doing this exercise was why you and me work so well together. I think if nothing else, you should understand coming out of this, these two episodes that for all of our differences in taste and for as much as like we joke about that on the podcast, that there's just a lot of common factors here. Uh, there's a lot of shared experiences that we have that sort of means that Matt Donato and Matt Monagle, uh, we were meant to have a podcast. We were meant to have this podcast. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's going pretty well so far. Thanks for asking. On that note, I think we can now end on our usual... Wait, can I do it? Because we switched? I mean, well, no, we have to do socials first. Come on. We have to say where the people can find us. But don't worry, I'm getting to there. All right. So, number one, I get to ask you first, Mr. Monagle, where can the people find you on the interwebs? Oh, well, I didn't expect this. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Labsplice, L-A-B-S-P-L-I-C-E. Um, and I'm debating locking my Twitter account for work related reasons. Nothing bad. I'm just, you know, I'm, 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 I might get a little, I might, I might close the door a little bit. So I would encourage you to get in while the getting's good. And yeah, I don't, I, you know, I pop up in a couple of different places. I, I tweet about it when it does happen. So otherwise I would just say, make sure you follow our work at certifiedforgotten.com. It's our baby. It's a beautiful baby. So go support it. You can find me at Donato bomb as always. Actually just find me at Donato bomb. That's that's the whole tag. Sorry, that was confusing. At Donato Bomb as always. At Donato Bomb as always. But as always, you can follow me at Donato Bomb on Letterboxd, Instagram, and the Twitters. Also, like Monocle said, follow along with Certified Forgotten at Certified Forgot on Twitter and just CertifiedForgotten.com, the website. We have new stuff hitting every week at this point between podcast episodes and editorials. We made it through Halloweener. We have more things planned for well into the future we've already got our december locked up january's starting to come together so always be looking out for the freshest of forgotten editorials on certifiedforgotten.com and now mr monagle i get to ask you can you take us out the black coat's daughter you motherfucker.